ladies and gentlemen, we're down to our last three contestants in our giant musical chairs contest. I'm very excited because there's been a long time playing this out. We've got some fabulous prizes for the person who's left sitting. So without any further ado, we're going to start the contest, the final round of the musical chairs contest. and all you can eat buffalo wings at BW3s. Look, Are you happy? Look, I am sorry, but this is not my fault. You know what? The jar people stepped up, and we have tons of chairs to keep putting an extra chair in because we can save a chair for everybody. And so we could be doing this all day, pal. Great job, guys, with uh, the Save the Seat campaign. Uh, no one will have to play musical chairs again, okay? And we're excited about that. We met our goal, so let's uh, thank God for that. And uh, over the next couple of months, we'll be having uh, those uh, chairs. Actually, next month, uh, those chairs will be here. So you want to get early if you want a nice, comfortable chair so you can sit up close. If not, uh, you'll be in the back. And, uh, but seriously, uh, thank you to everyone who helped. Uh, we are so excited and, uh, we're just really, we really feel blessed that we'll be able to provide enough chairs as we continue to grow, uh, as a church. And, uh, you know, your, uh, 20 bucks goes a long way because what it does is it helps somebody who's disconnected, maybe from God or disconnected from the church that when they come in, there is a place for them to be able to see. Now, my name's Chris Bunch, and uh, I'm the senior pastor here. And if you're visiting with us, we're so glad that you're here this morning. I work here, but I think I'd actually come here uh, even if I didn't work here because I love this place. And the reason I love it is because every single time we ask you guys to step up for one of the needs that we have, you do. And uh, over and over again, I'm amazed at how you guys step up to help us out with the different needs that we have. And uh, that's one of the reasons why I love being the pastor at this place. And I love being your friend and getting to know you. It's because of people who continue to step up. Now, we're in the middle of a series called Wired. And what we've been talking about is that each one of us are uniquely wired as individuals. And uh, we're wired for wholeness, but also you are wired as spiritual people, as spiritual beings. So everything that you do is spiritual. You being here today in church is a spiritual act. When you pray, it's spiritual. When you eat, it's spiritual. When you use your time or resources or money or talents in some way, you do that spiritually. And even when you drive your car, it's spiritual. And some of you need to take a course that we'll be offering soon called uh, Overcoming Road Rage. 
waving with all five fingers, okay? (laughs) Now, over the past three weeks, what we have been talking about is uh, the financial life, the physical life, the inner life, the spiritual life. And uh, today, what we want to talk about is the relational life. How do we do these things called relationships in a healthy way? Now, most of you who know me fairly well know that I'm an extrovert. I love being around people. And over the past uh, three weeks, I've been around three people all the time. My wife, Jennifer, our oldest daughter, Jordan, and our three-week-old, Shiloh. Now, I love being around uh, my family, but Monday, I was so thankful for a break. I actually got to go back to work, and in the afternoon, I had three hours of silence and quiet. And I was so thankful. And while I was there, I worked on, uh, you know, the teaching. I returned to emails, got all this work done. I had time to pray and read my Bible and just be in silence with God. And it was wonderful. And uh, those of you who are introverts, that's why I understand why you don't like to be around people. Okay? Because being around people all the time can kind of wear you out. And uh, I understood that, uh, or or as I've grown older, I've learned to understand that uh, there's an important place for having time by yourself, having time away from people, having time away from you people, okay, has been helpful in my life. But the Christian faith, folks, is not devoid of people. I mean, if you decided to be uh, checking out the Christian faith, It doesn't involve climbing up a mountain, meditating, having your fingers like this, finding your chi chai choi, and going kumbaya, kumbaya, okay? It just doesn't happen that way. Because Christianity is all about people. I follow a leader named Jesus, and his whole life is about people and community. In fact, when Jesus came to planet Earth, his master plan wasn't some big book or organization that he was going to write or develop, but it was building relationships. Relationships. That's the whole key uh, of the first kind of point there, if you want to fill out, is relationships. It's all about relationships. That was Jesus' master plan. Jesus, again, didn't write a book. He didn't have an organization. He just selected 12 guys who he lived three years with, and he said, that's my plan. And then he left and went back to uh, heaven. And when he left, he left these 12 guys in charge to actually fulfill his dream, his mission, his vision. Now, we know that one of them, named Judas, wound up killing himself, and he had Jesus killed as well. And... uh, It just kind of shows you right then, now you're down to 11. And it shows you that, you know, even Jesus didn't have a great, you know, selection of his small group, you know. I mean, even Jesus had one crazy person in his small group. And for those of you who've never been a part of a small group and you're like, well, that's the reason why I don't want to do it. Well, I can honestly tell you, no one has ever died in one of the jar small groups, okay? So if for no other reason, you could do that and be a part of it. Well, then Jesus uh, had a lot of hope and purpose in one person by the name of Peter. And he passed on the leadership baton and he said, Peter, upon uh, you, upon this rock, I'll build my church. And then a few hours later, he denied Jesus three times. You see, the truth about people, the truth about all people is this. All people, all relationships are messy. All relationships are messy. Now, my oldest daughter, Jordan, we're trying to teach her right now um, how to uh, put sentences together. And so if we took this sentence, for instance, and we said, you know, all relationships are messy, what she would come back to you is say, all messy. And she'd be right. If you don't get anything else out of today, remember those two words, all messy. All people are messy. All of you are messy. The people beside you are messy. Every relationship that you have is messy. And that's how Jesus chose to do his plan, to do it 
with messy people. One relationship, one person at a time. You see, the power of the eleven, after Judas hung himself, was that they just invited one person at a time to come and connect with them. I mean, they would go to a person and they would be following Jesus and they would say, hey, why don't you follow me? And as they followed that particular disciple, that disciple would help them connect to the one who knows them best and loves them most, Jesus himself. And after those 11 died, then the next generation kind of took this on. And it was almost just generation after generation, kind of like a domino effect of Christians going to one person at a time, showing the love and kindness of God to other folks. In fact, the whole reason that you're sitting here today is because someone came and talked to you about the one who knows you best and loves you most. And that's the whole reason why there are buildings and churches and places where people meet in gymnasiums is because one messy person came to another messy person and they said, hey, I can tell you about a person who can help clean up the mess in your life. And his name's Jesus. The whole reason why we understand the word Christian is because generation after generation, relationship after relationship, person after person, just went and told them the story of this guy named Jesus. So if you want to follow Jesus, I guess I'm just going to tell you that you're going to have to be involved with the messiness of other people. You'll be involved in the messiness of other folks. There's just no other way around it. Now, about ten years ago, um, when I was in high school, actually, I was in my mid-twenties, I was working on my master's in, uh, at uh, Anderson School of Theology in Anderson, Indiana. And uh, one of the classes that they offered was you could go to this conference where you'd learn about biblical community in small groups and you got three credit hours if you went to the conference and you wrote a couple papers. And I was like, that's for me, you know. I don't have to do all the semester hard work of a summer class. Now, the conference was at one of the largest churches in the United States at that time in Chicago called Willow Creek Community Church. And at that time, there were 15,000 people who attended the church. And I'll never forget walking into this just huge kind of campus uh, facility and thinking, wow. But what I remember about that whole time is not the big experience that we had, but it was the pastor, Bill Hybels, who we just kind of did the walk or uh, just walk across the room campaign. He stood up in front of all of these pastors and church leaders and he said, Many of you, you are looking at the large building and this large campus, 70 acres of people. You think about the 15,000 people who come in each week and they sit down and they get more connected to God. You think about all the volunteers that it takes to do this. And you think, well, that's how it happened. And he said, our success, and this is very important for us at the jar, our success is not based upon our bigness, but our smallness. And I listened to that and I thought, what is he talking about? Our bigness and not our smallness. And then he drew this picture. He had this wonderful picture that he drew. Pretty artistic, isn't it? Guy has 15,000 people and he draws a stick figure. Whoa, you know, blow me out of the water. But this is what he basically said. He said, every Christian has a Bible in one hand and has God's heart or the Holy Spirit in the other hand. And he said this, that for a Christian, what they do is they have a person in front of them who has a Bible in one hand and God's Spirit in their own hand. So you have one person in front of you who is further along the Christian path than you are. And he said, then you have a person behind you who may be a Christian or who may be a non-Christian. And the whole point of how they grew their church 
was they encouraged people to say, have a relationship with one person who's a little bit ahead of you and let that person encourage you and help you to grow and then have one person who's behind you a little bit in your faith and encourage them and help them to grow. And he said, this is the church. And I thought, 15,000 people, and you got three people, and you're calling that the church? Yeah, that's it. One person in front of you who's a little bit further in your faith, and you're relating with them, and one person who is behind you, who you're encouraging, you're investing in, you're putting your life in. That's the church, folks. Now, that conference blew my mind, and the reason was not because of his great stick drawing, okay? But at that point in my life, that was me. I was out on an island doing this thing called Christianity all by myself. I didn't have a person in front of me, and I didn't have a person behind me who I was investing my life or they were investing their life in me. And since that day, I've always tried to have, not all the time, not every year, not every moment, but I've tried to have someone in front of me who's a little bit further along and they help me out, and somebody behind me who I'm encouraging, who I'm helping to grow. Folks, this whole drawing right here is about relationships. It's all about loving God and loving people. Because people matter to God. And when we started the jar, we started with this concept that we wanted something to look like this. And over the years, sometimes we've done it well and sometimes we haven't done it very well. But we want this to be the heartbeat of who we are as a church and to be the heartbeat of Muncie and Delaware County and all of East Central Indiana, of people who have someone in their life who is encouraging them, helping them to grow, and someone that they are encouraging, and they're helping that person to grow. That we wouldn't just be the church that meets in the Y and they have cool music and I like the name, but that we would be a church that is meeting in our homes and in our places of work and in our neighborhoods and in bars and in coffee shops and all over the city and county and all over East Central Indiana being the church with this kind of concept. And that's still my vision today. That we would bust out of this place and we would have a person who's a little bit further ahead of us, and a person that we're encouraging doing church outside this place. Well, I think God has kind of always been in the business of this kind of thing and having some small groups where people were connecting together. I mean, we call it small groups in this place, but it just means living life together. And uh, anyone can do it. And uh, the way that I thought we would talk about it is by uh, sharing a story in the book of Daniel which is in the Old Testament, the first half of the the Bible. And the reason why we're going to do this is because this summer we're going through that entire book, and so I just want to give you a little sneak preview of uh, how cool uh, that book kind of is. Now, again, there's going to be a commercial here on stick figures, okay? So let me draw it real quick. Aren't I artistic? I mean, it just, it's amazing sometimes. Yeah. That was kind of a slow clap there. but uh. Well, these are three guys, okay, in the book of Daniel. Uh, this guy right here is Hananiah, and I'm going to spell it kind of fast because I don't know how to spell it. And uh, this is uh, Mishael, and this is Azariah. And these are three guys that are in this story. And the Bible tells us that these are three of God's people. They are a part of the nation of Israel, and somehow they're a part of the royal family of this nation. 
I mean, they'd be like the Obama girls or the Bush twins or, um, you know, the Olsen sisters or, you know, somebody that, uh, you know, just is really important to our culture. And um, now, during this time uh, of these three guys, uh, God has become very frustrated with his people. And he has kind of dispersed them away from Israel into all of these other countries. And these three guys were taken as slaves to a country called Babylon where there was a king named Nebuchadnezzar. And every single person in that country did not worship the living God. They did not worship the God of the Bible. But the cool thing is, is that these three guys, their names actually have to do with the living God. The first one, for instance, Hananiah, meant God is full of grace. God is full of grace. And this second one here, uh, Mishael, it meant who is like the living God? Who is like the living God? And then the last one here, uh, Azariah, means God helps us. The living God helps us. Now, these three guys, they show up in this place as teenagers, and no one in the entire country worships the God that they worship. But all of them, everyone in this country, worshiped either the sun or the moon or a statue or a rock or a stick or something else. So when these guys arrived, what happened was they changed their names. And they decided, we don't want you to know your God anymore. And so they changed their names to Shadrach. Again, I'll do it real fast because I don't know how to spell it. Shadrach, uh, Meshach, and Abednego. And... What these three names meant was they had a god, the moon god, called Aku. And what this name Shadrach meant was Aku rules. And this name Meshach meant Aku, who is like Aku. And the last one there, Abinego, meant I am a slave of Nabo. Nabo was another god that they worshipped. Now, they basically gave them these names because... They wanted them to be able to say, I don't believe in my God anymore. See, no longer did they have these names. I don't believe in my God anymore. Now, we know this about them. That uh, The only reason we know this about them is because they had this friend named Daniel. And Daniel wrote the book. He got all the press. Now, the whole book of Daniel is about this guy named Daniel coming from a slave to the post of the second highest in command in this entire country. But there are very few stories about these three guys. But there are some. And the first one is about the fact that they were told, you can no longer believe in your God. You have to believe in our gods. And they would say, you have to take animal sacrifices and you have to place those down before these gods and you have to bow and worship our gods. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, or Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah said, we're not going to do it. We will choose not to eat rather than to sacrifice any kind of food and eat any kind of food that was given to another god. A second story is how the three of these guys one day, Daniel came and said, I got a problem. And the three of them prayed all night because Daniel's life was in danger. And they prayed that God would come and respond. And he did. And that's the second story. A third story is about the fact that the king actually appointed these three guys as administrators over three regions in the country. They kind of became, you know, a senator or, or uh, some position like that in the country. And uh, the problem was, is that God was still in control, even though this king, Nebuchadnezzar, thought he was. Because God likes to do some tricks, Two tricks he liked to do in the Old Testament over and over and over again. The first one is he would take older women, like women in their 90s, and he would make them become pregnant. Anyone want to volunteer for that? Over and over again. He just loved doing that. 
And the other thing that he loved to do was he would love to take people who were enslaved and then put them in charge of an entire country. He did this over and over and over again, and that's what he did with Daniel and these guys. It's like he likes to go into a country where they have been, uh, the Israelites have been taken away and been enslaved, and he likes to go into that country and he says, my slave can run your country better than you can. I'll kind of lift them up through the power ranks. And that's what happened to these three guys. Well, here's the final story, the one we're going to talk about today. And it's one day, King Nebuchadnezzar had this great idea that he would build this 90-foot statue out of gold. And he would call every single person to come and to worship that statue as if it were a god. And uh, he decided that he would get this rock band together, kind of like you 2 you know, how they have these big concerts. And they'd get the band together and they'd start getting it all. And whenever the band played, everyone who worked for him and everyone in the country would have to bend down on their knees and face and worship this big 90-foot statue. Well, hundreds of people, thousands of people are there. And all of a sudden, you know, I don't know what he does if he's like King Nebuchadnezzar, a one and a two and a three. And, you know, all of a sudden the band just starts playing. I don't know how it happened. But all of a sudden they start, uh, you know, playing. And from the dog catcher to, you know, the mayor, everyone's down on their knees and they're bowing at this 90-foot statue. But there are three people who aren't. Guess who they are? These three. Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. I mean, they're not going to bow to that thing because they worship a living God. They don't worship something that's made out of human hands. They worship something that is beyond our understanding. And, you know, their God gave them ten commandments, and like the first four kind of deal with this thing, you know. And so they just stand there. But word gets back to King Nebuchadnezzar that everyone was there, and they were bowing and worshiping except these three guys. So the king likes them because they're good at administrating. That's why he has them over their provinces. And he brings them in and he says, all right, you guys, hey, you know, I like you guys. And uh, you don't even have to believe everything, but would you just get on your knees and kind of bow, do that kind of thing? So the next time, I'm going to play the band again. When you hear it, I just want you to get on your knees and just kind of bow and worship this. But if you don't, he says... I'm telling you, I'm going to burn you in a furnace. I've got this furnace that I just love to burn people in, and if you don't do this, I'm going to throw you in that furnace. So don't mess with me, guys. Just go ahead and bow. And the Bible tells us that these three guys speak up, and this is what they say. They say, Your Majesty? That's kind of polite, isn't it? You know, Your Majesty? No. <laughs> We're not going to do it. We don't need to defend ourselves. The God we worship can save us from you and your flaming furnace. But even if he doesn't, we still won't worship your gods and the gold statue you have set up. Now you're saying this, you know, to the king. And he gets ticked and he gets furious and he fires up the band and they don't worship. And then all of a sudden he gets his strongest soldiers to wrap them around in uh, these ropes. And these soldiers carry these guys to this fiery furnace. The only problem is now this furnace has been heated up seven times hotter, seven times stronger. And as these huge, burly, strong, chiseled out kind of soldiers bring these guys, all of a sudden... They disintegrate. There's no soldier there. And so, you know, Hananiah, um, Mishael, and Azariah are kind of sitting there. And they're like, okay, we need someone to kind of help us throw in here, you know. And so they just kind of fall into the fire. And when they fall into the fire, nothing burns whatsoever except the ropes that were wrapped around them. And And all of a sudden, these three guys, you know, are like talking to each other, hanging out. You know, I don't know what the conversation is that they're uh, talking about. It might have been kind of like, hey, you know, uh, you watch Idol this week. I like Danny, you know. And, uh, man, you know, I like Chris, too. But, you know, uh, you know, don't you think that Adam's a little whack? I mean, uh, I liked him, but, 
you know, and I don't know what they're talking about, but they're talking about things. And Nebuchadnezzar watches all of this somehow because he likes to watch people get burned up. And he's watching this. And all of a sudden he looks in, he goes, they're dancing. And he starts to count. One, two, three, four. Wait. We put three guys in there, but now there are four people in there. What's up with that? And Nebuchadnezzar, he looks in and he's just amazed that he sees a fourth person. And this is what he says. It looks like one of the son of the gods. We don't know if it was an angel, a vision, maybe God himself. But God somehow, he came in the midst of these guys' most difficult moment. And he's present and he's with them. You know, Jesus said something uh, hundreds of years later that may have kind of helped people turn back to this story when he said these words. For when two or three come together in my name, there am I with them. I'm with them. Now, Jesus is always with us, but somehow Jesus says that when two or three people are gathered in his name, relationally, something very powerfully kind of happens. And when you're in your fiery furnace, folks, when you're going through your difficult time, whatever that is, and for many of you it's a loss of a job or maybe a divorce or troubles with in-laws or outlaws or uh, whatever it is, that Jesus is present. And He comes into your world. He comes into your fiery furnace. He comes into your place and He's there and present with you. There's a, um, there's a book I had to read for uh, my studies at Anderson called Life Together by Dietrich Bonhoeffer. It's kind of a cool name to say. Let's all say it together. Dietrich. Wow, that's pretty good. Okay. And uh, he wrote this uh, book, and basically the whole book is about this. He says, we as human beings are so uh, far from God, and we're so kind of broken and messed up and, and screwed up in life, and we're here. And God is so perfect and so pure, and He's so far away from us. And Jesus comes, and He becomes our mediator, our ambassador. He kind of pulls the two of us together. He pulls us together. I mean, on our own, we could never get to God. We have to have Jesus to pull us together. And if you want healthy relationships, that's the first key. It's allowing Jesus to kind of pull you to God the Father. To pull you to the one who knows you best and loves you most. But Bonhoeffer said the key to healthy relationships isn't just getting connected to God although that's important, but you also have to have Jesus in the middle of every single relationship that you have. That He would be connected in each relationship. You know, this summer and fall, I'm going to be officiating at five different weddings. And I was thinking about it this week because I'm preparing for one uh, in a couple of weeks, and uh, I've done about 100 to 150 weddings. And typically, when these people come forward, they're both standing there, I typically know both of them fairly well. And when they walk up, you know, they're all excited and joyful, and, you know, there's uh, happiness in the air. And the guy usually has his hair combed, you know. And uh, the girl, you know, has somehow lost 10 pounds in the last two days, uh, you know, to kind of get in that dress. And they're standing there in front of me, and, uh, you know, there's excitement and joy and pictures and parties and all of that. And as they're standing there in front of me, I'm so tempted to just look at them in that moment and go, I love you guys, but you're going to mess this thing up. You are literally going to mess and screw this thing up. Now, I've said that basically that maybe I'm down to two or three weddings, you know. Uh, after this, some of you are here. Uh, no, I'm joking. Now, I share this in a humorous way, but the reality is, folks, I mean it. 
two people together on their own, they cannot do anything that's going to be lasting or satisfying or joyful for 50, 60, 70 years. They won't. They're just going to mess it up. Two people left alone by themselves will never be able to fill God's uh, kind of focus of marriage till death do us part. I mean, people are messy, remember? And they bring their messiness into relationships. And you can't just do 40 or 50 years by trying harder or doing more because it doesn't happen. I mean, the reality is that the only hope that married people has is that they have someone that comes in between their marriage. And they take the heart of one person, and then they take the heart of the other person, and they somehow mold them and bring them together, and they work with them as one. I mean, you can't just do it on your own. We're all too broken for that to happen. Folks, for our marriages, but really for any relationship that you can think of, you need someone to step in the middle who's more gracious, more loving, more caring, more kind. You need Jesus in that. That's why the second key is this. Allow Jesus to stand in the middle of what relationships? What was that? All. Every relationship that you have, He should be in the middle. You need Jesus not only to get to God, like Bonhoeffer said, but you need Jesus for your marriage to survive. You need Jesus to be a parent. You need Jesus to be a brother. You need Jesus to be a sister. You need Jesus to be a friend. You need Jesus for every single relationship that you have. Because without Jesus, it's only a matter of time before the other person starts to smell. I don't mean B.O. I mean S.O. Your sin odor. It just kind of oozes out and pretty soon you go, who wants to be with this person anymore? For the rest of my life? Yeah, right. I mean, the reality is, folks, we're a mess. And it takes Jesus kind of reaching out and pulling us together and bringing healing and fixing our lives and fixing our relationships that they're healthier. You're the first. I've never had my alarm go off before. (laughs) All right, back to this story. These three guys. Well, the story of these three guys ends by King Nebuchadnezzar. He gets ticked off at him, and he says, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, get out of there. And these guys walk out of the fire, and it says that they didn't even smell like smoke, and they kind of walk out like Danny and Chris, you know, and Adam did this week, and they're like waving, you know, like, hey, we know we're the idols now. Everybody's going to be talking about us. No one goes into a fire and survives, but we're out here. And the Bible says that they didn't smell like smoke, and the fourth guy somehow disappears, and the king, Nebuchadnezzar, now he comes in front of them, and he gets on his knees. And he bows down, and he says, Your God's the real God. (laughs) No other God has been able to uh, save people. Your God is the good God. It's the real one. And then he makes this declaration. Anyone who says anything about the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, I will go and burn their houses and cut them up in pieces. He had some anger issues, didn't he? But in his way, somehow Nebuchadnezzar took one small step closer to God. And it's amazing to me that as we follow Jesus... Even in our own messed up lives, people can look at us and pretty soon they think, wow, there's something different about them. And maybe, just maybe, they might start wondering about this living God. I think Jesus said it best when he said these words, all people will know that you are my followers if you love each other. How will people know that you're connected to Jesus? Because you read your Bible three hours a day? Because you pray every day? Because you come to church every single Sunday? 
Because you do good things all the time, all those things are important. But how? How you love one another. That's why people come to the jar. They don't come to the jar because Isaac does well, or because I'm maybe a, a halfway decent communicator. They come because they look at you guys and they say, these people really love each other. And whether it's in this place or outside this place, that's the call. You just can't do it by trying harder, doing more. You need someone to step in the middle between you and every relationship. Okay, last stick drawing. Ready for it? That's a stranger. And that's a stranger. And that's you. You want hair? Some of you guys are bald. Or you soon will be. So this is a stranger, this is a stranger, and this is you. What do we know about strangers? They're bad, and they like to kill people by giving them candy. Isn't that what our parents taught us? That's why you don't go to a stranger. Okay? And you see, when we see a stranger... There are two polar opposite kind of responses that we can have. The first one is on this end. It's hostility. And basically what hostility means is that you're the type of person that, uh, you know, if somebody looked at you just the wrong way, you'd punch them in the nose. Okay? So that's hostility. And we'll kind of have a spectrum up here. Now, on this other side is hospitality. So hostility, person that punches you in the nose. Hospitality, a person who comes up and says, would you be my best friend? And you can live in my house. You can have anything you want. Now, both of those are kind of weird responses, don't you think? Either that you'd punch somebody in the nose for no reason or that you would just have somebody in your house. And so what happens is I think most of us like to take the middle of the road uh, between hostility and hospitality, and it's called ignoring people. <laughs> you just ignore people. And that's what happens with strangers, right? I mean, how many of you, when you go to Walmart, do you walk in, and you're walking down one of the aisles, and, you know, you just go up to somebody and you hit them in the nose? No, you don't do that. Or how many of you, you know, walk up and say, hey, you're my best friend. Could you come and live in my house? No, we don't do that. You just ignore people, right? You just kind of put your head down. You ignore everybody. Now, uh, the problem is, is every once in a while you have to lift your head up in one of those places, right? And then you have eye contact. And that's the worst thing in the world. Because then you have to respond. And so, for good people, uh, and most of us, you know, we're kind of like right there. And you'll smile at the person. You know, you'll actually recognize that they're there. Others of you, depending on your day, you're kind of right there. And you give the death stare. Right? Now, the reality is most of us want to be a good person rather than a bad person. And so there are, you know, bad, bad people, like really, really bad people. The kind of people that, you know, they're in a car and they have their girlfriend and you look over and you kind of look, wave at them. They get out of their car and they hit you in the face. Okay? That's a really, really bad person. But a really, really good person, you know, is over here. And uh, it might be, you know, the fact that, uh, you know, you're going down a road and, and uh, you see someone off the side of the road because of weather or whatever reason. It's cold or rainy and you get out and you find they have a flat tire. So it, you find out they're a single mom and, and you fix the tire and you do everything and, and you don't hit on them afterwards, you know? Like, that's a really, really good person at that point, okay? See, for some of you, it takes a little bit longer, I know, okay? Now, again, most of us would rather be a good person rather than a bad person, right? But I can't just tell you that you need to be a good person because that's not what the Bible says. That's not what Jesus commands. But the reality is, folks, all of us 
need to be about right there. I'll give you a quarter inch because we don't want anyone just living in our house, right? But that's what the Bible says. That's where you're supposed to be. That's where Jesus commands us to be. We are commanded to live that way. The Bible says this, Share with God's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. So when you see a stranger, and there are strangers even in this room that you know, you don't know I mean. But whether it's in this room or it's outside this room, we would actually, you know, kind of smile at them. Act like we're actually glad to see them. And we kind of practice hospitality until you're good at it. And hospitality simply means is that you open up your life. Maybe it's your home. Maybe it's your car. Maybe it's your wallet. Maybe it's your grocery budget. Maybe it's something else. But you open up a piece of your life and you make space for somebody else. The Bible also says this, Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Peter says, do it without grumbling. In other words, you'll leave from here and go, yeah, I'll do hospitality. A bunch said do it. No. He says actually enjoy it. You know, one of the things that I try to do with my life is I leave enough space around it so that if there are encounters that happen to me during the day, I'm not so focused on the next task that I can slow down enough to connect and actually show hospitality to someone else. And today there are people right around you, people that you'll work with this week, people that you'll come in contact with at Walmart or somewhere else, and they're longing for someone to be hospitable to you. See, the biblical concept is not here, it's not here, but it's here. You know, throughout this series, we've been talking about um, wired for wholeness, that to have a whole life, you have to have these different things kind of, you know, connected with God. And today we want to talk about relationships, that's all we talked about. And here at the JAR, we believe that the healthiest people are people who are living a life that actually looks like that. That they're in a small group. They're with a person in front of them, a person behind, but they're being encouraged in a small group. Now, some of you this morning, as I talk about small group life, you're like, man, I'm ready for it. I've been here for a while. I'm ready to step out. I'm ready to do it. You can go to the connections table. You can sign up. But some of you, you're here and you're like, man, that's scary for me. I'm not going to do it. I like coming here on Sunday, but that's enough for me. Well, I want to give you a challenge for those of you who are not a part of a small group. And uh, the challenge is I want you to have one small group experience, and I guarantee it's an experience here that every single person here will enjoy. You know what it is? Eating. I've never met a human being that doesn't like to eat. Because if you don't eat very much, guess what happens? You're no longer a human being. You're in the grave, okay? And so this summer, we're going to have some small group cookouts where we're just going to invite people to come. You don't have to do anything. You don't have to be spiritual. All you got to do is come and eat. How many of you like to eat? Anyone who didn't, well, we don't have to go there again. But But we want everyone to at least do one. And you'd say, for a two-hour period over June, July, and August, I'll do one of these. Now, I want you to know this. You're like, well, what what cookout am I going to go to? I don't want Hananiah, you know, Azariah, that kind of thing. That was a cookout, right? (laughs) That was pretty good. But what's going to happen is John Goble, who's our small groups coordinator, myself, anyone that signs up for one of these cookouts, and we want everyone to do it, just one cookout. You don't even have to bring food. We'll go through all of the names of people who sign up for it, and we'll plug you into a normal group. All the weird groups are full, okay? (laughs) But we'll plug you into a normal group, and that's what we want you to do. And I realize we're laughing right now, but it's scary for some of you guys. 
to go into a group and to be a part of that. But I'm telling you, just try it. Just try it and see what God does with that. And let's really be the type of church that has groups like that meeting everywhere. Let's stand for closing prayer. God, we uh, thank you so much for all that you give to us. And this morning, God, we uh, thank you especially for relationships. And I have no doubt in a crowd this size, God, that there might be marriages that are kind of rocky. Might be kids that are rebelling in some way. Might be relationships with our bosses that um, are less than ideal and we wonder if we'll have a job for much longer. And so, God, I just pray that starting this week that we might put you in the middle of each of our relationships. And we would just kind of see where that goes. And so, Jesus, would you come and help us to know how to do that? To know how to be pulled by you to know your Father better. And then to be able to have your Son in the middle of all the relationships that are important to our lives. And God, would you help us maybe to take a risk this summer? to check out a cookout and maybe get to know a few other people, that our lives might be encouraged and be made more whole. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a great week. Know you're loved in this place. If you'd like prayer for anything, come on up. Thanks.